the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it more than you know. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving around, and thank God it's a a little bit warmer. Uh, If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of your screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, before we get to some questions, two scheduling um, bits of information. First, uh, tonight uh, we're going to be teaching, I'm going to be teaching a brand new book in the Old Testament, uh, The Prophecy of Amos. And uh, that uh, starts, I'm going to do chapters one and two. Uh, So that starts tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch that at calvarysa.com with our live stream. Or you can join us. We've always got room on Wednesday nights, and we'd love to have you. Uh, And, of course, tomorrow Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. That's always a pleasure to, to hear. So that's tomorrow. Let's get to questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Uh, The first one is from Sandy. And she says, a friend sent my husband an NIV Bible concordance by John R. Kohlenberger. Uh, Is this a good study reference? Um, Sandy, the the Bible concordance, yes, are are good um, study materials. Um, You know, um, I, I don't... I don't think it's all that important to have an NIV concordance. You can do some search in most of your Bible study programs uh, on your computers or your, your uh, um, Bible study programs that you've got on your, your uh, iPads or phones. Um, you know, they'll let you get back, switch back and forth between um, um, versions. And so, yeah, but, but a, a concordance is a good one. Uh, is if, obviously, if this is a paper concordance, it's much easier and much quicker to use uh, the Bible study computer programs as well. One of the things that I suggest, and this is what's really valuable about having a concordance on your uh, computer, is that there's an Englishman's um, uh, dictionary or Englishman's concordance, whatever they call it, uh, but it will show you all of the other places that that Word is appears in the other books of the Bible, and it's really, really valuable that way. So, yeah, Sandy, it's a good reference, and uh, he can enjoy it. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Gary. 
Um, dear Ron, in last Sunday, January 14th, you said that the language spoken by Jesus in Acts 26, verse 14, was Aramaic, while both the King James and the New King James say it was Hebrew. I thought Aramaic was the Syrian language. What is the correct take on this point? Um, Gary, all I did, now I, I'm, I was teaching on the 1984 uh, NIV, as I'm sure you know, and I was just reading it. It is the NIV that says Aramaic, and it is also true that most of the newer versions use the, the word Aramaic rather than the Hebrew language. Now, here's what we need to understand. Um, the newer translations are translating from a different set of uh, textual manuscripts than the King James and the New King James. The New King James, the King James, they're translating the majority text or the Texas Receptus, and Aramaic is the, I'm sorry, the Hebrew language is what those manuscripts indicated. Uh, but the newer translations are translating the manuscripts from the Alexandrian set of manuscripts. Those are a little bit older, and often, although I, I disagree with this um, you, under normal circumstances, often people will think, scholars will think, well, it's older, so it's better or more authoritative. I don't believe that to be true, but they are older, those manuscripts, older than the, the majority text. So uh, it's just a matter of which set of manuscripts that you're translating. Now, here's what... I believe most scholars would agree with me on. Um, I'm going to use a word that we're all familiar with, but but it's sort of the Palestinian language. It was the common language of the day, uh, spoken during the time of Jesus, and it was sort of a hybrid language between Hebrew and Aramaic, and um, um, I think the Palestinian language uh, is 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 probably a more direct or more correct translation of it. So um, I don't think one is right, one is wrong. I think they were just describing the common language spoken uh, in the day. So very, very important. We also need to remember that the New Testament was written in common Koine Greek, uh, and uh, that's the one that is authoritative. That's the one that Jesus um, wanted his Bible to be written in. So, Gary, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much for pointing it out. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous. Um, any book or specific chapter in the Bible you can recommend for encouragement for mothers? Yeah, I would read um, Timothy. Um, you know, Timothy's start in life was given by his mother and his grandmother. And, uh, you know, a mom and a grandmother. My grandmother prayed for me her whole life. I mean, her whole adult life. And um, um, I actually, we received the the books, the, the prayers that she wrote down when she died. She saved them all to give to the grandkids. Um, but children can be really and truly um, inspired by a, a praying mom or a praying grandmother, somebody who raises them up in the word, which is exactly what happened with Timothy. So uh, Timothy is uh, where I would begin, uh, but really anonymous, um, any of the New Testament books, any of the New Testament books are going to have great personal application, um, great value. Um, um, Philippians chapter 4 is another one that is especially good for moms and dads. But uh, I don't know what kind of encouragement you need specifically. Uh, if you have young children, uh, you got to stay close to Jesus. You do that, and your Jesus will wash out all over your children. So, Anonymous, I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, just get close to Jesus. Just stay with him. Be in his presence. And the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit that will be coming from you will be a blessing. One of the things that children have a really difficult time dealing with is the ups and downs, the highs and lows in their parents' lives. You know, one day the parents sing, yes, just be with Jesus, um, follow Jesus. Um, and then the next day they're yelling and they're upset or they're depressed or discouraged. The next day they're happy again. And I think the one thing that we really need to focus on 
is being consistent in our walk. It's not really directly uh, spoken to mothers, instead to fathers. But Paul writes to the Ephesians that we're not to exasperate, one translation says, um, or embitter, another translation says, our children. And we do that when our walk with the Lord is inconsistent. Now, let me let me also mention one other thing. And I think this is uh, also important for all of us who have children. Um, we can't be the needy ones. Moms, dads, we can't be the needy ones. Your children are the needy ones. Um, they need to see you as somebody whose faith is solid. They need to see that you really believe what you've been telling them you believe from the time they can understand it. Otherwise, you're going to drag them to church. If they don't see any value or any personal benefit from your walk with the Lord, then they are going to grow frustrated um, as you tell them uh, to follow you as you follow Christ. So um, I, I think that's another key for us. We ought to be able to say to our children, you just watch me because I'm going to be following Jesus. So I hope that helps. Not specific chapters, but uh, Philippians chapter 4 is great. And Paul's first letter to Timothy is equally great. And then if you want to continue reading Second Timothy, uh, many years down the road, uh, Paul is able to sort of give uh, Timothy the keys to the car. You're going to take over from me here, Timothy. So here are your last-minute instructions. All of that began with a mother and a grandmother who really loved God and who walked with Jesus in a consistent, God-honoring way. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to the phones. we get Reuben on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm well, Reuben. Thanks. That's good. Pastor Ron, I just have a question and, and then a prayer request after the question, if I may. Um, I'm reading Genesis and John. Uh, you know, I'll read Genesis first and I'll just go to John. Good. And I got to the point, point to where uh, Abraham's story and um, he wasn't, I guess, were they called Christians back then or believers? Because he came from the Chaldeans and yeah. so did his wife. Yeah, no, Reuben, they weren't Christian. You know, nobody's a Christian until, until Jesus. Uh, Abraham was actually the first Jew. Yeah, that He started the Jewish uh, race uh, as, as a called-out man. Uh, but he was an idol worshiper from an idol-worshiping family and uh, in the Chaldees, and um, when God grabbed a hold of him, um, that began um, a whole new relationship, of course, with God, but but not just for Abraham, but for the rest of the world, and certainly he is the father of uh, of the Jews, he's the father of the the um, of Muslims, he's also the father of the faith for Christians, so um, he was just one of a kind, the very first one uh, first one, by the way, that God called friend. Wow. And as far as his wife, um, I know that uh, she was at first called Sarah E, and then God changed her name to Sarah. Um, the Bible doesn't really say anything about her. And like, uh, I don't know if it would be a conversion to uh Judaism or whatever, but I, the only reason I'm asking is because I've seen, I saw this movie today. It's called His Only Son. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, I'm not. It's about it's about Abraham and what he went through. I think it's I think it's a pretty good movie. It, um, there were, but you know, on movies they tend to put extra parts in there, and yeah, there do. was a part where Sarah was telling Abraham, look, I don't believe in your God because, look, you know, we're over here doing this. You promised us that we would have the promised land and all that, but the Bible doesn't say any of that. So, but um, anyways, that's the the one thing, point I wanted to make was I got into John verse, oh God, 8, I believe, and 56 and 58, and I just love 
what Jesus told uh, the people. And then I'm paraphrasing there because uh, they were saying, well, look, how can you say, you know, Abraham, you're, you're not even 50 years old yet. And then he told them, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that just blew my mind and spoke to me so much and told me, like, Reuben, I am. I am. I was, I am, and I will be. You know, and I just, I just wanted to, you know, just to, just to like, uh, you know, just encourage anybody else who's going through something because I'm going through still some things, but I'm not giving up, Pastor yeah, Ron. I'm not giving you. up. I'm holding on to to God, and I'm refusing to 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 be defeated. Um, the prayer request I had was, if you don't mind me, um, I've been having chest pains. And I went to the emergency room last week, and they said it was nothing. So they sent me home. But uh, I know that it's something because I can't seem to catch my breath. And it just hurts when I take a deep breath in. And, of course, the enemy comes and tells me, oh, you're going to have a heart attack. No one's going to find you and da-da-da-da. I just wanted to know if I could just yeah, could say a prayer for me. I'll do that. And that, was, that was basically it. Yeah, before you hang up, Ruben, um, a couple of things, especially with the Abraham question. Um, be careful what you watch. Let me, let me give one. I think you can find this probably online somewhere. But the very best, I mean, by far, the very best and most biblical depiction of his life ever was the old TNT series, Abraham and Richard Harris, who is one of the great actors of my lifetime. Richard Harris played him and uh, the dramatic license is kept to a minimum. Uh, the story follows the biblical narrative. Uh, there's no indication that Sarah and, and she, her name was changed to that because she would be called the mother of the living at this point. Um, um, she's, uh, it, it's just a wonderful, wonderful story, and, and you can find it for free, I'm certain. So it is a classic. TNT was doing some biblical biography stories, and um, I guess this is probably 20, 25 years ago, but it was it was the best by far, and you would absolutely love it. And we will be praying for you, and uh, keep us informed how you're doing, okay? Okay. What's it called again? It's, it's called Abraham. But it's a TNT, Turner Television Network. Yeah, Turner Network Television or something. Network Television, yeah. Yeah, TNT. And and, uh, you can find it online for free. It's really good. I will look at it. Thank you, sir. God bless you. you. Bye-bye. So we will be praying for Reuben. You know, when you get to be a certain age in your chest, especially if you're a man, when your chest starts to hurt, Man, the devil jumps with both feet. So please keep Reuben in your prayers. Uh, we have a caller waiting. Uh, Lennon on line two. Lennon, I was talking about you today. God bless you. God bless it you, was, Pastor Ron. Yeah, it was good. I was talking good. <laughs> good, good. Hello? Yeah, what's up? Okay, my question is regarding Abraham. And speaking of Abraham... Uh, the Bible mentions that in Genesis 25 that he had other, that he married again and had other sons, and he mentions their names. But I don't hear much about, you know, what happened to them and uh, how relevant they are to, you know, to Israel or us. Yeah, Lennon, they're they're not very relevant at all. And in fact, we get that information, um, uh, especially after Sarah dies, we get that information. This kind of demonstrates that God blessed Abraham's life and he was fruitful and he was vigorous to the very end. But the, the, the stories, what happened to those sons and or daughters that he had uh, after Sarah's death is really not germane to the story that God is trying to tell, the story that leads to Jesus. So all it is is information, and historically we know almost nothing about what happened to those children or or how they ended up. Okay, well, thank you for answering my question. Okay, God bless you, dear friend. <laughs> God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Um, you know, we get frustrated sometimes because the Bible doesn't answer all of our questions, but it was never intended to answer all of our questions. Uh, 
The reality is, is that it is Jesus's story and what we have written are those things that are relevant to that story. And um, we, we need sometimes just to be okay with not having all the information that we would like. Be curious, like Lennon was curious, but be content with, um, hey, we're just not going to go some things. Hopefully, we don't know for sure, but hopefully we'll see some of those people in heaven and we can fill in the details, fill in the blanks. Here is a question. This one came from Gene. It's spelled like a male Gene, a man. Uh, will you discuss your thoughts on amillennialism, please? Yeah, Gene, it's easy for me to do that. It's nonsense. It's silliness. Uh, the idea that there is no literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. All you have to do is go to the book of Revelation. And I'm, gonna, I'm doing this off min- memory, so I can't see it. So I may miss by one or two uh, references here. But um, when it discusses the millennial reign, uh, the Holy Spirit goes out of his way to say things like, um, after a thousand years, when the thousand years are over. And if, if my memory serves, seven times in one chapter, we're, we're, we're told specifically that the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth is literal. That's really important, Gene. And in fact, if there isn't a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, then it means that all of the promises that God made to Abraham, that he made to David, uh, all of those promises have been broken. And of course, if God can break promises, we're all really, really in trouble. So I I don't really understand, Gene, why somebody who says uh, um, there is no millennium, and that's what amillennialism means. Uh, Millennial is a thousand. Uh, awe is there is none. Uh, and and they think uh, eventually Jesus is just going to show up on earth and then just establish his kingdom. Uh, but uh, he's got to rule and reign from the throne of David. Um, we're going to rule and reign with him. And over and over and over, if you just read the Bible and take it for what it says, not how somebody interprets it, but take it for what it says, we discover that over and over and over, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that there is a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. And uh, I, I just don't know how much more information we need. I also don't really understand uh, what the motive is. I can say this about some amillennials. I don't know if you remember the preacher um, uh, that that was very active when I first got saved, D. James Kennedy. He was very, very politically active and, and was always talking about the problems on earth we've got to settle uh, before Jesus comes. Uh, he didn't believe there was a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. And, and, and at least consistent with his beliefs, uh, he, he believed that it was the church's job to sort of win over the rest of the world. And, and a lot of the amillennials believe that, that, that we're, we're, the, the world is going to get better and better and better, and then Jesus will come. But that is completely the opposite gene of what the Bible says. So the idea of amillennialism, uh, though there is precedent for it in church history, uh, the idea is really without any merit at all and borders on silliness. Again, just read the text. When the thousand years are over, over and over and over in the book of Revelation, the end of the book of Revelation. Thanks, Gene. I appreciate it. I think I have time for one more before our halfway break. This is a question from Amber. Amber says, uh, Pastor Ron, I have a friend who says we should pray to Mary because a good son always does what his mother asks. Is that true? Um, no, you know, Amber, I always tell people, and nobody ever takes me up on this, but read Mary's Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Mary, believe me, will be embarrassed, is embarrassed by the fact that people venerate her, worship her, or whatever you want to call it, that they ask her. The Bible says there is one mediator between man and God the man Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's one mediator, oh, a plus, plus his mother. So that's just nonsense. That's, there's no merit whatsoever to that. And of course, living in a city that is largely Catholic, um, we all know people who are caught up in that asking Mary to do things for them when in fact Mary is just like you and just like me. She is a Bible heroine. She is 
an example of righteousness. She is to be honored, um, perhaps more than most others, but she is not to be prayed to. That is an affront to the Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us. And it's just uh, tell your friend uh, that she's missing out and then suggest to her that she actually reads the Bible for herself rather than just listens to what they, they tell her at her church. So no, um, you know, with the wedding in Cana, Jesus, uh, Mary just said, well, you do whatever he says. And that was great advice. But, um, you know, the, the take that, well, she's the, the mom and she'll, uh, she's the one who could make Jesus do what I want him to do. That's to misunderstand the character and nature of God altogether. So, Amber, I hope that makes sense to you and answers your question. Well, we are out of time in the first half of the program. We've got 30 minutes left. We'd love your live calls and questions. 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. Quick reminder, tonight I'm going to be teaching a brand new book in the Old Testament, the first two chapters of the Prophet Amos. And um, that's going to be live streamed at calvarysa.com. And Paula will be here in studio live with me tomorrow. Here's a question from JR in San Antonio. And uh, he says, I'm trying to find some good scripture on sexual immorality for my grandchildren. Uh, Do you have any recommendations? Um, JR, you asked for scripture, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, because your grandchildren are not going to be um, sexually moral uh, until unless they get saved. I mean, the only thing that's going to keep kids from sinning, and the same thing is true with adults, is you got to love Jesus. I mean, that's really the only way that we're going to say no to our flesh, because the reality is we don't want to say no to our flesh. So uh, Scripture is it. Let, let, let the Lord speak to your kid's heart through the Word of God. Um, Galatians chapter 5 uh, beginning in verse 19 through verse 23. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 um, basically says the same thing that Galatians does and it talks about the consequences of sexual immorality. But all the way through the scriptures, God talks about um, the, the, the immorality um, and the consequences of the immorality, the importance of of um, being with the Lord, you know, uh, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and Corinth says that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. Um, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to understand those things. Um, Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So there's all kinds of, of exhortations to be um, pure. Um, I, we just had a question about Mary. Um, you know, the angel Gabriel um, appeared to her and announced that Jesus was going to be born and, and using her body to do it. Had she not been pure, she would have missed out. She would have missed out. And and, and we don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us. Now, um, because your question was called in and we didn't get a chance to talk to you, um, if you're talking about sort of the trends in the world today toward homosexuality or uh, being transgender, um, you know, these kids are, are literally brainwashed in public schools. They're brainwashed even more effectively from the world's point of view on social media. And we have to be careful. Let me do something I don't normally do. I am going to suggest a book uh, for them to read, especially if they're struggling with um, homosexuality. There's a book by Jackie Hill Perry called... Um, 
gay girl, good God. And uh, it's her journey to Christ and uh, a, a woman who was uh, homosexual uh, and, and active in the lifestyle. Uh, and she has borne a lot of fruit for the kingdom of God. Um, gay girl, good God, Jackie Hill Perry. And the Hill Perry is hyphenated. It's it's her maiden name and her now married name. And she is a mother with at least two children and maybe three by now. So um, J.R., just from cover to cover, the Bible talks about the importance of sexual purity. Very, very important. Thank you for the question. Here is a question. This one is from Derek. He says, I was raised a Seventh-day Adventist and always believed that when we die, we go to sleep until Jesus comes back. What do you say? Well, Derek, I don't say anything. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's Paul writing to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So um, very important that, that we we take him at his word. Um Instantly we go into the presence of the Lord the moment we die. There's no soul sleep. There's no darkness. There's no nothingness. Um, we never die. We always live. And, you know, our bodies give out. So certainly the, the physical body dies. But just prior to that event happening, an angel comes and takes the real us, our spirit, uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. And, of course, in the process of that, in an instant, uh, we have our new glorified physical bodies at the same time. So be very, very careful of Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. Uh, there are some uh, Seventh-day Adventist churches and believers who are truly saved. I mean, they're, they're okay, the crazy doctrine, very legalistic but but um, um, I mean they really know Jesus and are born again. But there's a, a, a large number of uh, SDA churches, Derek, that are cultic and cultish. So um, you want to be very very careful. There certainly none of them are orthodox in terms of their theology, and there's all kinds of problems. That's one of the reasons you don't find. Um, many thriving SDA churches, nor do you find any abundant, fruitful Christian lives coming out of people who are Seventh-day Adventists. So um, thank you for the question, Derek. Glenn says, so the beginning of this question always makes me go, oh no. Glenn says, there are a lot of pastors on TV and radio who say that God wants us to be rich if we have enough faith. And then he adds, that doesn't sound right to me. You know, Glenn, that's exactly the experience I had as a brand new believer. Now, for me personally, and I know this was an attack directly from the devil himself. My problem was money. Uh, I needed it desperately. Um, I didn't see how I could even survive if I didn't have money. I'd gotten into such financial trouble with gambling and, and other things. And prior to that, of course, I was a very successful businessman. And so I had tons and tons of money. Uh, but as soon as I got saved, uh, I was surrounded by people who said they were Christians um, who who told me that God wants me to be rich and all I have to do is believe it and claim it. Um, and, and, you know, I wanted Jesus to be that, that God. I really did. I remember one day crying out to him and saying, uh, you know, Lord, I, I need to know who you are. These people say you want me to be rich, and I'm rooting for them, Lord. I hope that's who you want me to be. But it doesn't seem right to me. And what I realized now, that was the Holy Spirit protecting me, giving me some discernment, even though as a brand new believer uh, who who is only, I mean, I had never even opened a Bible before I got saved. Um, uh, it just didn't set right. And so I began the process, Glenn, of trying to find out whether or not it was true. And um, your discernment is kicking in. It isn't right. God wants you to be rich in um, the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to be rich in joy. He wants you to be rich in peace with God and having the peace of God. But he, he frankly doesn't care at all whether or not we have a lot of money. God often keeps money away from those of us to whom it can become a stumbling block. And for those of us 
who will use it for God's glory, then God blesses abundantly. But, um, you know, you, you'll find out what God's plan is for you. But stay away from those pastor, uh, pastors, if prosperity pastors or um, faith, uh, word of faith pastors. Just that there's nothing good that they're teaching you. And, and in fact, Glenn, they're misrepresenting the character and nature of the Lord. So please, please, please use the discernment that's kicking in and completely stay away from, avoid those kinds of pastors on TV and radio. It simply isn't true. And as I said, mischaracterizes who God really is. Good discernment, Glenn. Thank you. Joseph says, Pastor and a co-worker who is from another religion offered to pray for me. I was confused, but let him do so. Can God honor his prayer? Uh, I don't know what his religion is, Joseph. You don't tell me. And as you know, I'm I'm an anti-religion guy. So uh, if he's not born again, his prayer means nothing. means absolutely nothing. So uh, thank him. His intent was, was uh, I'm sure, good. Um, but, but the reality is his prayer doesn't get past the ceiling uh, if he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he's not born again. You know, it's always frustrating when you are out and people think that their approach to God is the same as your approach to, to God. Uh, and when we know that's not true. Now, what I would do, Joseph, is use that as an opportunity to witness. I would say, well, okay, tell me who you're going to pray to. Are you, are you praying to Jesus? Are you born again? And see, that's a wonderful opportunity then to, to witness, to ask some questions, get an idea where he's coming from or where she's coming from. Uh, or it's, you said to him where he's coming from. Um, um, and, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit will open the door in his heart. But uh, I want to make it clear that, that unless somebody is born again, they have no access whatsoever to God at all. And if the Holy Spirit is sort of coming alongside them and convincing them of sin and the righteousness of judgment, then it just may be the case, uh, Joseph, that God wants to use you to, to give them the information they need to take that step from religion to relationship with Jesus Christ. But it can only be when you're born again. I always remind people, uh, I get these questions, especially from Catholics a lot, Jesus told the most religious man in Jerusalem, um, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, that except a man be born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when you talk to people who are religious, the idea of being born again is sort of anathema to them. They hate it. But but you've got to say, look, this is what Jesus said. It's not what I said. I don't have anybody on the line, so I'll tell you a very quick story. The uh, very first convert that we ever had at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I'm now going back 29 years, um, was was a, 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 a Catholic from uh, the Air Force. He was a, a, a student pilot at the time. He's gone into a, a, an illustrious military career, uh, went really quickly through the ranks. He was the first trumpet, or first chair trumpet at the Notre Dame Marching Band. I mean, this guy was a cradle Catholic. Um, his whole life, Notre Dame was the only thing that, that mattered to him in education. Then he decided to get in the Air Force. But when he came to our, our brand-new little startup church, um, he was sort of combative at first. Um, well, I'm a Catholic. I've always been a Catholic. I'm always going to be a Catholic. But as he heard the word taught, and it didn't take him long, about three weeks, um, he knew the Holy Spirit was knocking on the door of his heart. And he surrendered his heart to Jesus. In fact, I was privileged to, to do his wedding um, in Columbus Air, Columbus Air Force Base in Mississippi. And uh, when we went to the airport, it was about an 80-mile drive from the Air Force Base to the uh, airport where they picked me up. Um, his mother was in the car. And uh, Paul and I were in the back seat, and he and his mother in the front seat. And it was so tense in there. And finally, she turned around and looked at me, and she goes, I guess you can tell I'm not very happy with you. And I said, well, gee, what did I do? Well, you've, you've turned my son away from his faith. And I said, well, I don't think so. I turned him to the real faith. 
except a man be born again. And, and she, she was so flustered. She didn't say another word. But boy, the tension was thick. So religious people, you must be born again. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Terence asks, "Can I explain what it means to say the wages of sin is death?" Um, Terence, yeah, all it means is that um, death is what we earn because we're sinners, and sin separates us from God. Sin is what we earn. You go to work. Uh, you you give them the hours, you give your best effort at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month, you get a paycheck. Well, death is the paycheck for humanity separated from God by sin. And so um, what we do is we just say, look, we deserve hell. We deserve being judged because we're sinners. Um, But thank God it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And all we have to do, Terrence, is to believe. So that's what it means. Thank you very, very much. This is a question from Roseanne from our email inbox. Does the Bible teach eternal security depend on a believer's perseverance? I was looking at Romans 2.7 and Colossians 1.23. Let me read those because I think this is a wonderful question, Roseanne. Uh, Romans 2.7 says, To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Colossians 1.23, If indeed you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Um, Roseanne, I think what the Bible is doing there. Now, we have eternal life. Um, over and over and over, Jesus tells us the, the the book of Acts tells us, the epistles tell us that when we are born again, we have eternal life. We're sealed with the deposit, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, a deposit from God guaranteeing our inheritance. So we have eternal life the moment we're truly born again. So what Romans and Colossians is doing there, and there's a couple other places where Paul uses the same kind of language, it's not saying, well, if you hang on to the end. Uh, you know, it's almost like, okay, well, well, right now you're in a pretty good place, but you're on probation. And if that were the case, none of us could ever know that we were saved. First John, which I'm going to begin in about three or four weeks uh, on Sundays here at Calvary Chapel, um, the whole point is that we might know we have eternal life. And if you know, and it's in the continuous present tense, it, it it precludes the possibility that we won't know for sure until we get to the end. You know, when Paul says at the end, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. The idea is that perseverance is assumed or presumed of the real believer. The Bible says that Jesus is, Paul writing to the church at Philippi, uh, he is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. He also says to the same church, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the idea is that we have to complete it. Like I'm just going to try really hard. I'm going to grit my teeth and just bear it to the end. It's not at all what he's saying. The presumption is that the real believer will persevere to the end. And I think that's important because there's a lot of people that seem to start out well, but they never finish well. And the, the, the reason is they never really truly were born again. So um, our eternal security is in the hands of God. He's faithful when we are faithless. Um, it, it all depends on him. It doesn't depend on us. And Roseanne, all we have to do is be with Jesus. And we're going to follow him. And he's the one that's responsible to get us to the end. Now, we partner with him. Philippians 2 says that it is God who both works to do and to will in us. So all we have to do is partner with him. And then our confidence is that we're going to make it to the end. So if you're born again, Roseanne, you have eternal life. And because you have eternal life, because the Spirit of God lives in you, you will make it to the end. So it's not so much an if as it is a sense. It's not a questionable, well, well, let's just see if you make it. It's just more of a statement that if you're really, truly a born-again believer, you are going to make it to the end. 
That's a great question, Roseanne. Thank you very, very much. And again, in about um, three weeks, uh, maybe four weeks, probably, I'm going to be uh, teaching on Sundays the book of First John. And the whole point of it is that we might know, without a doubt, that we have eternal life. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Jack asked this question. Uh, I often pray for family members because I fear something bad will happen to them if I don't. Is that an okay motive? Um, Jack, it's it's troubling. Um, you know, uh, if you're praying because, well, if, if I don't pray for them, then something bad's going to happen. Um, it's sort of diminishing um, the the presence and the protection of God in their lives. So it's not like uh, your prayers, uh, your constant prayers, are are, um, are going to have uh, this huge preventive effect. Um, you ought to be praying for your family members for sure, but but your motive needs to be that that they would love God, that they would know the Lord. Not that, well, if I stop praying, something bad's going to happen. That's just the enemy who's really trying to take all of the joy out of your prayer life. And, you know, prayer is hard enough. We're always in a spiritual battle when we are prayer. So so just check your heart and check your motives. But believe me, your family members' lives do not depend on your prayers. They depend on the goodness and the presence of God. So uh, pray for them, but but but. Pray differently. I've got unsaved family members, Jack, like most of uh, the people in this audience do. Um, And I want them in heaven. But God gives them the free will to make a choice. I have to respect that choice. And so what I can do is say, Lord, make it difficult for them. God, God will make it difficult for them, but make it difficult for them to miss you. Show off for them. Show off you powerfully in their lives and bless them, Lord, with your presence. And, you know, they get saved. It's because um, they dealt with Jesus Christ. So praying because you're afraid that if you stop praying, something bad will happen. I think that's a little difficult, Jack. Too much responsibility that you're taking on yourself. Okay, we've got four minutes left in this program. Here's a question from Karen. This is a big question, too. Karen says, how can we be sure that we are hearing God's voice? And I'm assuming, Karen, that you mean hearing God's voice um, in relation to knowing it's not the enemy or you're not just hearing what you want to hear. Um the way to do it is to be with the Lord. But here's the key. you got to know your Bible. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says that we're to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. The reality is, Karen, that there is an awful lot of people who are... Um, awful lot of people who are hearing voices from spirits that are not from God. In fact, they're anti-Christ. Um, that's the enemy's job, to confuse us. Um, so what we got to do is we got to be able to discern the voice of God and the voices that we hear, whether it's our own voice, uh, you know, often because of what we want to hear, um, or whether it's an enemy who's trying to distract you. And the only way, the only way that we can do that is to know the Word of God. Test everything against the Word of God. God will never say anything. And God does speak to our heart. God will lead us um, in ways other than His Word. Now, primarily, He will speak to you through His Word uh, 95% of the time. That's just my dumb percentage. But the reality is, if you don't know what the Bible says, you'll never be able to discern whether it's from God or not, because you won't have any standard of measurement. God will never contradict speaking to you what he's already declared in his word. You know, Karen, I've had people come to me, and most of the time it's women. Well, God, I've been praying for a husband, and God brought this man into my life. He's not a Christian, but, and and I'll say, God didn't bring him into your life. Well, I'm sure he did, And, and I've had them come back to me and say, I know God brought them in because he told me. 
Well, God would never contradict what he's written in his word. And in his word, he says to not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So what we've got to do is know the word. So, Karen, the, the, the most effective way to be sure is to really dig into the Bible and let the Lord speak to your heart through his word. And the Spirit will bear witness when it's of God and when it's not. And this is the beginning of a wonderful um, time in your, your relationship with the Lord where you're going to begin being led by faith, by the Spirit of God, working through the Word of God. And those times, and they're not many, but there are times when God will speak something so clearly to your heart that you will just know it will be consistent with what God has already told you. It will be consistent with what he's revealed in his word. And that's when we begin to walk with an assurance, Karen, that we are in the will of God. And when you find that you're in that place, don't let anybody ever talk you out of it. You just keep following him right to the end. We're in one of those times right now here at Calvary Chapel. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the Date Day Show. We will see you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.